Uh, Galatians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11, let's hear the word of God. But when Cephas, that's Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Well, last week we saw a picture of apostolic unity in Jerusalem. You remember the picture. We saw uh, Peter and Paul and James and John shaking hands, giving one another the right hand of fellowship a sign that they were in agreement on the apostolic deposit, the gospel that had been revealed to them as Christ's commissioned apostles, uh, the gospel that comes from God. So last week we saw apostolic unity, and now as we look at the picture before us today, it's a different picture, isn't it? Uh, Paul is now opposing Peter to his face. So, so why does Paul, after shaking hands with Peter in Jerusalem, now stand opposed to him? And the answer in our passage is because the gospel is at stake. Uh, the truth of the gospel is at stake. That phrase, the truth of the gospel, connects uh, Galatians chapter 2 verses 1 and 10 and Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 16. In uh, Galatians 2, verses 1 and 10, the gospel was at stake because certain men were just coming into the churches of Galatia teaching a different gospel, distorting the gospel, which is no gospel at all, Paul says, but a perversion of the true gospel. And now in verses 11 through 16, the gospel is at stake again, not because Peter is denying the truth of the apostolic gospel, but because by his conduct, Peter is out of step with the very gospel that he professes. So while they share unity in doctrine, Paul confronts Peter because Peter is out of line with that shared truth. So I think here's actually a big, this is a big lesson that we need to learn from this passage up front today. Being out of step with the gospel doesn't always manifest itself in, in false doctrine or false teaching. We, we, can, we can affirm the truth of the gospel like Peter did and be out of step with that very gospel by our actions. 
We can deny the gospel with our conduct. That's what Peter was doing. And that's why Paul opposed him to his face in front of all. He was not walking in sync with the gospel that he confessed. And so you see, like, like Peter, we can, we can confess the gospel. The, the good news that, that pardon and, and right standing with God was obtained by the, by the righteous life and substitutionary death and the victorious resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, and that gift is received by faith alone apart from works. We can confess that gospel and then deny that gospel in the way that we live and in the way we treat one another. We can walk out of step with the gospel, not only in what we believe, but in what we do. That's a lesson for us here in this passage. We could get the gospel all messed up in how we live. So I think one of the most important questions we, we can be asking ourselves about our conduct and our actions and our habits as a church and as individuals is this. Am I or are we walking in step with the gospel or out of step with the gospel? Are, are we commending the gospel of grace or are we contradicting the gospel of grace by our, our conduct? Does our life reflect the gospel or does it contradict it and undermine it? We need to see here that, that embracing gospel doctrine leads to a way of life among God's people. There is a pattern of life among the people of God that is determined by the gospel. And I think we need to, as individuals and as a congregation, be doing regular checkups on ourselves to see if our actions and how we, how we relate to one another is in step with, in, in line with the gospel that we confess. So again, the big question before us today, I guess the big questions are these. How do we live in step with the gospel? How do we avoid what Peter did and walk out of sync with the gospel in the way that we conduct ourselves? I think this passage challenges us to think about those, those two questions. Now, the, the issue in Antioch here, I think it unfolds in, in eight straightforward Steps And let me just give it to you as an outline of our passage today. Number one, Peter comes to Antioch and he begins to eat with Gentiles, which in and of itself is a glorious, incredible thing when you understand the background. We'll come to that here in a minute. So number one, Peter comes to Antioch, begins to eat with Gentiles. Number two, certain men came representing the circumcision party. Number three, Peter was afraid of those men. Four, out of fear, Peter separated himself and, and cut himself off from fellowship with the Gentile believers. And even Barnabas, the son of encouragement, traveler with the apostle Paul to the Gentiles, even Barnabas was led astray by Peter's hypocrisy. Number six, Peter stood condemned. He was acting out of step with the gospel. So number seven, Paul rebuked him to his face in front of all. And then number eight, Paul explains, I think, in the clearest way possible, the gospel doctrine 
of justification by faith alone apart from works to show how uh, Peter and the Jewish contingent were out of step with the gospel that they professed. So that's what happens in this passage. And what I want to do here, I want to start with number eight, the gospel doctrine of justification by faith, and then go back to the scene in Antioch to see what was going wrong there. So number, uh, number eight then, we're looking here at verse 16. Glance down at it with me. Paul says, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. Now, I think if you wrote that in a paper, your teacher or your professor would be tempted to mark you for being repetitive. But Paul, he wants to hammer this point home. So he says basically the same thing, just three different times. Justification is not by works, but through faith in Jesus. We believe in Jesus in order to be justified by faith, not by works, because no one will be justified by works. Deny that, and you've got no gospel. The gospel has been torpedoed if you deny that truth. So justification by faith alone in Christ alone, apart from works of law. Let's just think about that statement for a moment. Justification is a court of law term. It's something a judge does. It is the act of a judge in issuing a verdict. He, he justifies or he condemns. It's his act. You are passive. You, you come into his court guilty or innocent. He looks at the evidence and he pronounces the verdict justified or condemned. That's God's act as judge. Going a little bit further though, in a, in a just court, the verdict of the judge is always in accord with the truth. Right? Innocent people are justified and guilty people are condemned in a just court. So with a, with a just judge, you're justified if you're just and you're condemned if you are guilty. That's what a good, just judge does. Now that's not good news for us, is it? If we stop there. It's bad news because if you and I find ourselves standing before the judgment seat of God in the courtroom of God, left to ourselves, the verdict for each and every one of us here today would be guilty, condemned. Now, you know that. The Bible tells you that. Your, your conscience tells you that. If people around you were honest with you, they would tell you that. That standing before the judgment seat of God on the basis of what we have done, the verdict would be unquestionable, guilty, condemned. That's the bad news. But you see, the gospel, the gospel is this, that a holy, just, and upright judge looks upon his people and the verdict is not guilty, justified, pardoned, accepted. That's the announcement of God. No condemnation. But how can that be? That's a question we have to ask ourselves, how can a just judge pardon and accept guilty sinners? And my friends, the answer of the gospel is two words, Jesus Christ. 
That's the answer of the gospel. How can a just judge pardon guilty sinners? The answer of the gospel is Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ, he, he came as the God-man, born in our likeness, born in human flesh, born under the law. And Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. He lived a perfectly righteous life, fulfilling every requirement of the law. And then Jesus died as our substitute upon the cross. He, he took our sin upon himself and he carried it to Calvary and willingly placed himself under the wrath of God and received the condemnation that you and I deserve for our sins. So, Another question then, how do we come to benefit from the perfect life and the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ? What's the answer of Galatians chapter 2? Not law. That's the answer. Not works of law, but by faith. By faith we come to receive the benefits of Christ's sinless life, substitutionary death, and his victorious resurrection from the dead. And by faith means that your claim is, is basically this. Lord, I'm guilty. In, in and of myself, I stand condemned. I have no claim but one. And my claim is your son, Jesus Christ. He, he lived for me. He died for me. He rose again for me. That's my only claim. He is my righteousness. He is my substitute. He is my life. Christ alone is the source of my right standing with you. So, so God, I'm clinging to your son that you gave, that I might be reconciled to you. That's what it means to embrace Jesus Christ by faith, to trust in him alone and not in any work that you do. And the moment, the moment someone puts their faith in Christ, we don't have to wait to the final judgment to know that a verdict has been announced. The verdict of God from heaven, the moment someone believes, is not guilty, accepted in Christ Jesus. Why? Because, because he sees you. He sees you in Christ. He sees you attached to, connected to his son who is perfectly righteous, who has been justified in his resurrection and who possesses eternal resurrection life. And so when you are one with him, you are clothed in his righteousness and you receive right standing with God and you know I have eternal life in Christ. But here's the thing about Galatians chapter 2. The, the gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone apart from works, it not only has incredible implications for our relationship with God, it not only has vertical implications. The gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone has radical implications horizontally as well for our relations, relationships with one another our fellowship as a church. And when you read the New Testament, not just Galatians chapter 2, it's clear that justification by faith alone has important implications for, for our unity and our fellowship as 
a church family. Because here's, here's what it means, dear friends. Our right standing with God and membership in God's family is based on faith in Christ, not our works. That's what unites us to Christ and one another. Now work that out in its implications. What unites us is not our skin color, not our ethnicity, not whether we're a Jew or Gentile, not, not our social status, not our cultural practices, not our political views or our musical tastes. While those distinctions and differences are real and they exist, they should not block Christian fellowship because the gospel goes deeper than all of those things. Here's another place in the New Testament where justification if I can put it this way, relativizes cultural and ethnic distinctions and barriers. This is Romans chapter 3, verses 29 through 30. Paul says, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also. Since God is one, who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith? Do you see how the doctrine of justification functions according to the Apostle Paul. It functions to make believers one, profoundly one. The only way anyone can stand before God is through faith in Jesus Christ. There's, there's no ethnic claim here. There's, there's no superiority here. There's no kind of superiority whatsoever here in our standing before God. So my background, my ethnicity, my culture has zero to do with my standing before God and my accepting of my brothers and sisters in Christ who are trusting in the same Savior. My only claim is Christ. And therefore, when any person of, uh, of any color, any culture, or background puts their faith in Christ, those differences are relativized. So, so what? let's go back then here. Let's go back to, to Antioch now. What in the world happened with Peter? What, what was the cause of Paul confronting and opposing Peter to his face? Go back to verse 12. Before certain men came from James, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. Or in verse 14, Peter, you were living like a Gentile. Peter was enjoying gospel liberty and gospel unity. And it's a beautiful, I think it's a beautiful picture with this Jerusalem Jewish apostle who, who came from Jerusalem and he was, he was free in Christ. Free from the ceremonial food laws in Leviticus chapter 11. So he ate with the Gentiles. You see, Peter had come to understand that the food laws, while they still have relevance, while they still have application, while they are still the word of God, are no longer directly binding upon believers the way that they used to be in the old covenant era. And that's a radical thing. That's a radical thing for a Jewish believer to come to terms with, for a Jew to eat with Gentiles without any concern of eating unclean food or being unclean from spending time with Gentile sinners. It's a big deal. So I, don't, I think we should show Peter a little bit of grace here as we think about his, his sin. Peter and Paul were, were sinners just like you, you and me. And Peter here 
had a moment of spiritual weakness. But I think, I think some background in Peter's life will actually help us see how far Peter has come. So turn, turn to Acts chapter 10 with me. What happened in, in Peter's life here, for him to get to the point of fellowshipping with and eating with Gentiles, what happened in his life to get him to that point? Acts chapter 10 explains it to us. Now this was early on in, in uh, Peter's ministry, and there, you'll remember the story, there was a man named uh, Cornelius who lived in, uh, in Caesarea. He was a Gentile, and it was God's will that Cornelius be saved. And it was God's will that Cornelius be saved through the ministry of, of Peter, the Jew. And so to get Peter ready, he gave him a vision. And in verses uh, 11 through 14, Peter sees this, uh, well, the heavens opened up, and he sees this sheet dropping down out of the heavens, and on it are all kinds of animals and, and birds and reptiles that Jews are not supposed to eat according to the food laws in Leviticus. And a voice comes and, and says to Peter, Peter, rise, kill and eat. And Peter, Peter says, no, no, Lord, how, how can I do that? I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice comes back to Peter and says, what God has made clean, do not call common. Now, this is a major moment in the early church. During uh, his ministry, Christ had already declared all foods clean. You can see that, and I think it's Mark chapter 7. But it, it took a while for Jewish Christians to come to full terms with the significance of what happened in the life and ministry of Christ. And this vision, it changed Peter's life. God was saying, Peter, a new era has begun. Christ has come. The Old Testament ceremonial laws have served their preparatory purpose. You are free to go to the Gentiles. That barrier has been removed. The ceremonial law no longer separates you from going and fellowshipping with Gentiles. And so Peter went to Cornelius' house and look at down, I think it's verse 28. Peter explains his vision. He says to the Gentiles, You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. Did you notice the shift that Peter made in his thinking? He, he, he rightly understood the vision that he had received in Acts chapter 10, that God wasn't just talking about food, he was talking about people. That now Peter was free to, to go and associate and visit with Gentiles. And then something amazing happened. Peter, Peter started preaching to the Gentiles and uncircumcised, or I'm sorry, circumcised believers were astounded because the Holy Spirit came upon uncircumcised, unlaw-keeping Gentiles. That's what happens here in, in this story. But when Peter goes to Jerusalem... He gets himself in a little bit of trouble. The, the circumcision party, does that sound familiar? The circumcision party criticized him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them. Now, that, does that give you a flavor for what Peter, Peter is facing and what Paul is up against 
in uh, this party that is located in Jerusalem. They're saying, what are you doing associating with Gentiles? And Peter responds by recounting his vision and, uh, of God's work and God's work among the Gentiles. And look at what he says there in verse 17. It's compelling. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we believed. There's that key word. When we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? In other words, if, if they believe the gospel, why should I not receive and recognize them as full-fledged Christians? Now, doesn't that sound a lot like what Paul is arguing for in Galatians? Listen to Galatians chapter 3, verse 2. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So you see, Paul and, and Peter are agreed with one another on the gospel. And in Acts chapter 10, and at least at first in Antioch, Peter was walking in step with the gospel that the apostles agreed to. But when Peter was, was in Antioch, as the story unfolds here, we see he stumbled. Certain men came from James, and that might throw up a red flag. Hey, wait a minute, Paul and James shook hands in Jerusalem. What's going on here? Is, is James denying the gospel? Is there, after all, disunity among the apostles? Well, I, think, I think one of the things we need to remember, first of all, they, they shook hands on the gospel in Jerusalem, but apparently... James had some followers, this is at least my take on it, he had some followers who were not consistent with or did not represent James's own views very well. In fact, listen to this, uh, later when the Jerusalem council sent out a letter to the churches dealing with this very issue, should Gentiles be circumcised, this comment is added in Acts 15 verse 24. We have heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, uh, unsettling your minds. Now, this is something coming from James. Although we gave them no instructions. Okay, so there's a little piece of information that I think sheds some light on what's going on here in Antioch. So these men, they, they come from Jerusalem, and one thing we know for certain is that Peter was afraid of them. Peter was fearful of them. And in a moment of weakness, he, he separated himself. He cut himself off from fellowship with these Gentile believers. And here, here is, I think, a sobering lesson for the leaders here at Trinity, because look at what happens when Peter went out of step with the gospel. The whole Jewish contingent followed him in his hypocrisy. Even Barnabas went astray with him. Now put yourself then in the position of Gentile believers. Right, let's say a couple Sundays from now, we've got our fellowship meal, and some of you head to the back room, and somebody stands at the door and says, no, you're not allowed to come back here unless you're circumcised and you observe kosher laws with us. What does that communicate? It communicates that you are a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God, and to really be a full-fledged Christian and member of God's family, you must conform to our opinions. As we look at this story, I, I want to see here in a minute 
three things that are out of step with the gospel. But notice here, Paul right away had the, had the wherewithal and the insight to see that their actions were out of step with the gospel. That by their actions, they were actually undermining and contradicting the gospel that they professed. So if we want to avoid that, that same error and we want to, by God's grace, walk in step with the gospel, then we need to avoid these three mistakes that we see here in this passage. The, the three are fear, hypocrisy, and legalism. First then, uh, fear is out of step with the gospel. The gospel does not beget fear. It drives fear away. You see, Peter acted out of fear instead of faith, at least on this occasion. And let's, let's be honest, we know what that's like, don't we? we? We know what it's like to be driven by fear instead of faith. We know what it's like to fear man, the, the opinions of man. What man might do, what man might uh, inflict upon our lives. Some of us, for other reasons, are uh, afraid of our circumstances. Perhaps situations in our, our lives have us fearful. Or perhaps, as I serve as a pastor, I find this to be the case more and more in our society today. Some people are just a, an anxious, worked up, stressed out, fearful mess. And they, they can't even put their finger on exactly why they're fearful or, or anxious. And friends, here's, here's what I want to say to you. What do we need to overcome all of those fears? And we want, to, we want to complicate it. We want to psychologize it. But at the most basic level, what each and every one of us need is the gospel. What each and every one of us need is a fresh glimpse and a deeper understanding of God's sovereign might for us in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to overcome our fears. See what the gospel says to you. It says that in Jesus Christ, God is for you in all his might. The Lord of creation who, who sits upon the throne is, is for you so that you can say with the apostle Paul in Romans, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. And it ought to lead us to say with the psalmist as we prayed a few moments ago, if the Lord is on our side, who, why should I fear man? What, what fear do I, would I possibly need to have? Here's the worst case scenario. They can kill you. That's what Jesus tells us. Worst case scenario, person can kill you, but fear him who can kill or destroy both body and soul. That's what Jesus tells us. So if you find yourself being governed by the fear of man or some other kind of fear and anxiety, and it's leading you to walk out of step with the gospel. And then pastoral counsel. What you need more than anything else is a fresh glimpse and a deeper understanding of God for you in Jesus Christ. Because that, 
drives away all fear. All fear. So fear is out of step with the gospel. Second, hypocrisy is out of step with the gospel. Look again at Galatians 2.13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with Peter so that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. So Peter, Barnabas, and the Jews were being two-faced, putting on a show, putting up a front, and their actions were out of line with their words, with their creed. And so Paul, Paul accused Peter of forcing, that's the language, of compelling the Gentiles to Judaize, to live like Jews. Now what, what could Peter have possibly said to Paul in response to that accusation. What do you, wait a second, Paul, what do you mean I am compelling Gentiles to live like Jews? I've said no such thing. Well, you can anticipate what Paul could have said in response to that. But Peter, your actions are speaking louder than your words. And you are contradicting the confession uh, that you make in not walking in step with the gospel. So I think Peter helps us to see that almost always hypocrisy is driven by fear or insecurity. Did you make that connection? Uh, Hypocrisy is just about always driven by fear or insecurity. Peter was afraid. What exactly he was afraid of? Well, we can speculate about that. But he was afraid of this party, maybe afraid of what they might think. Afraid of consequences down in Jerusalem. Afraid of conflict. We don't know exactly, but he feared these men, so he acted like a hypocrite. He put up a front to avoid the conflict, to avoid the accusations and the, the, the opposition. And the, my friends, here's the thing. The choice Peter faced and that you and I face is, is this. Live by faith in the gospel of God or live by fear. That is, that is a challenge that faces us each and every day. We tell ourselves, we tell ourselves, don't we, that, that the gospel is something we believe over here. And the rest of our lives is lived out over here. And our faith in the gospel and living by faith in the Son of God often has very little to do with our life over here. My friends, that's false. And it's wrong. The daily life of the Christian is a battle to live by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. And we need to begin to see our lives in those terms. Now, number three here, uh, legalism. So we've got fear and hypocrisy. <coughs> and third, legalism is out of step with the gospel. Look at verse 14, Paul says to Peter, but when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, if you though a Jew live like a Gentile, not like a Jew, how can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? Again, Peter never said in writing or in teaching that Gentiles had to be like Jews, had to live like Jews. He didn't He didn't publish that statement. But Peter's actions in the church carried the force of law. And Paul recognized that. And by his legalistic actions, Peter was leading the entire Jewish contingent 
of the church astray. And, and the message to the Gentiles was loud and clear. In order for you to be a full-fledged Christian and accepted in this community of faith, get in line. Conform with our opinions, conform with our views, conform with our cultural practices in order to be like one of us. And at the end of the day, my friends, that is compulsion where there is no law, and that is legalism. Legalism, from Galatians, we can, you know, legalism is a tricky thing to define, but at least two definitions that I've come to as I've studied Galatians is legalism is compulsion where there is no law, or it conditions our fellowship with God and other Christians on works and not faith alone in Christ alone. But you see, this, this issue, it can, be, it can be so subtle. But do you see how Peter is walking out of step with the gospel? Peter's misstep is an abiding example, I think, to the church and to us. Because it's, it's all too easy for us to be in line with the gospel doctrinally. And to be out of line with the gospel in our hearts. To, to be out in line with the apostolic doctrine that has been once for all delivered to the saints and then in our lives and in our relationships and how we speak to one another how we relate to one another to be contradicting that very gospel and so brothers and sisters what we what we need to be doing is by grace confessing the apostolic gospel and constantly checking ourselves are we living in line with that gospel is our is our fellowship commending or contradicting the gospel. See, to preach, we can, we can preach one thing and then give the impression, and may it never be that this is the impression that anyone ever gets here at Trinity Church, but we can preach one thing, and if we're out of line with the gospel, we can communicate the subtle message that to be really welcomed here to be really recognized as a true follower of Jesus Christ, you better conform to our opinions, our cultural practices, our personal preferences in areas where Christ has set us free. That's legalism. And it's out of line with the gospel. It's out of step with the gospel because, I'm going to use the language of Paul here. I know it's strong, but it's Paul's language. It's out of line with the gospel because it nullifies the grace of God. And it renders the atoning work of Jesus Christ superfluous. Meaningless. In vain, Paul says. Look at verse 21. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. In other words, if right standing with God and recognition in the Christian community is based upon faith plus works then the gospel is meaningless. And Christ died in vain. So again, fear, hypocrisy, legalism are out of step with the gospel. Therefore, let me close with four, four brief challenges. And I'll just, I'll just state them here. Here's what we, if we don't want to get out of line with the gospel like Peter, we want to walk in step with the gospel. Let's hear these four exhortations. Number one, Believe the gospel of Christ and do not fear any man. In Jesus Christ, God is for you with all his might. 
So what do you need to fear? No one but God alone. Number two, believe the gospel of Christ and do not play the hypocrite. Because in Jesus Christ, the root of hypocrisy has been severed. Because in Jesus Christ, he alone is your righteousness and the basis of your right standing with God. Number three, believe the gospel of Christ and do not nullify the grace of God by legalism. Instead, Galatians calls us to exalt the grace of God by living by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And as we'll see as we move on in the book of Galatians, that gospel truth has radical, radical implications for how we conduct ourselves as Christians and the moral claims that God in his grace lays upon those who are in Christ Jesus. But number four, believe the gospel of Christ and receive one another on the same basis that God received you. Which is what? By faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone, apart from works. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel doctrine of justification by faith alone. And we confess together that we have no claim in your courtroom but Jesus Christ and his substitutionary death and his righteousness. Father, as we try to take that truth and stay in line with it, we pray that by your grace and the work of your spirit among us that we would walk in step with the gospel and not only with our lips, but with our lives and our fellowship, that we would commend the gospel of grace that you have revealed to us. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.